Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. First time a buddy of mine from back east came out to hunt with me when that dog was in his first year. We were out chucker hunting and he came screaming by from left to right at Mach 5 and, and there was an island of sagebrush in front of in front of us, maybe 50 yards. As he came across the front of that sagebrush, he literally locked up, went down to his front elbows and slid sideways in a power slide to stop. And he had those birds at like 20 yards. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. This week, my guest is Keith Marcotte. Keith, how you doing this evening? I'm just fine. So first off, thanks for joining me. Uh, you know, I was just kind of telling you, I, ha I had a general roadmap in my head, and then you referenced me to uh, your blog, which we'll have posted in the show notes of this if people wanted to check out. And it, it started taking me down too many rabbit holes. I didn't really know <laughs> exactly where I wanted to go with this episode. So I told you, you know, just screw it. We're just going to have a fun little conversation. Yeah. I, I didn't realize I was that disjointed in my blog post. <laughs> no, it's like, not disjointed. <laughs> it was just every time I'd read this, I'm like, yes, I want to talk about that. Then I would read in your next article or your story, blog, whatever, whatever it's uh -huh. called. And I'd be like, man, I, I kind of want to talk about that too. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff to talk about, but uh, first, bet. no matter what we talk about, we have to start with the obvious. Go ahead and introduce yourself, kind of where you're from and a little bit of your background. Shoot, you bet. So Keith Barcott, um, I currently reside in Wyoming, but I uh, was born and raised on the East Coast uh, and actually did most of my early bird hunting. Uh, really, I didn't get into serious early bird hunting until I got into college, uh, which was in upstate New York at a time when grouse numbers weren't bad and, you know, woodcock are still plentiful. And, and um, so I, I met it, met up with some guys up in college and one of whom had a Springer Spaniel. And, and so we did a fair amount of pheasant hunting. Um, but, but actually kind of going back before that a little bit, I should say, I didn't grow up in a, in a hunting family, um, grew up in a fishing family, but not a hunting family. But I was one of those 
I'm from the generation that I read books about Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett and Jim Bridger and all thought those it was guys. the coolest thing in the world to be would be a mountain man. And I was born too late. So uh, <laughs> I happened to grow up uh, in an area that had plenty of woods around and a stream that we could go get lost on in a time in a day where your parents said, get out of the house and be back by dinner, you know? So that was, that was the way my summers were spent. And um, anyway, so I uh, flash forward to college, I, uh, you know, started doing most of my bird hunting then and um, left New York to go to graduate school out in Washington state, which is when I bought my first dog, which was a backyard bred Brittany um, who frankly taught me more about bird hunting than probably I ever taught him. And, um, that got me on the Brittany train. And, and the next Brittany I bought several years later was, was a French Brit. Um, and, uh, for those who have been in the, in that field for a long time, David Follinsby, who used to be the editor of Gundog magazine many years ago, his, uh, the kennel where he kept all of his dogs and he was kind of largely responsible for bringing French French Britneys back into the United States. Um, he, uh, all his dogs were nearby. And just by chance, I went to that kennel and picked up a puppy and, and thought that that dog was way more energetic and pretty much, you know, fantastic compared to my first one. And, um, so I actually wound up started breeding them for a little while. And then I worked and family got in the way. And, um, but for the next, whatever, 30 years, I had, I had French Britneys, and then, uh, so then at some point in time, I moved to Illinois, then I moved to Wyoming, kind of hunted different places along the way. And, and um, about seven or eight years ago, as I was telling you, before we got on the, on the mic here, um, I thought that just, just once in my life, I wanted to have a dog with a tail <laughs> um, and, and, and a tail that I could see sticking up above the sage when I was, when I was hunting chuckers and huns, uh, you know, out here in this part of the country. And bought a dog out of a kennel in Michigan, uh, which is defunct at this point in time, unfortunately. Uh, and that dog turned out to be just phenomenal. If he, if he had a fault, which he had a fault, it was that he, he would, when he pointed, uh, and I know Kyle would have something to say about this, but when he pointed, he was, he pointed and you couldn't move him. You couldn't call him off. You couldn't even shock him off. If, 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 if you were convinced there was no birds there and, and, there were times when there were no birds and he just wouldn't move. You know, you had to go basically. So, so what you're referencing, Kyle, Kyle Warren of the, uh, yeah, the yeah, point, yeah. the true dog versus tracking dog. So mm-hmm. by your definition, this setter is a true dog. He was a truest of true dogs, uh, by that, by that standard. And, and, um, and you know, that was, uh, you know, he, he put a lot of, a lot of birds in front of me over the years and, and was gone way too soon. Um, but when it, when I lost my last French Brittany, which was also, um, eight months ago, um, he, uh, which he was a, he was a very good dog, but I, I had a hard time deciding which way I was going to go. I had, you know, I had this great setter and, you know, but I had had all these Britneys and kind of getting to the point in my life where I'm thinking, I don't have a lot more new dogs in my, in my future, which, you know, where, which way do I want to go? And I finally decided I just couldn't, I, you know, I, I couldn't be without a dog with a tail. So, uh, <laughs> so I got a, I got a, uh, uh, a Llewellyn. My first one was a Llewellyn and this one's a Llewellyn. Um, 
they were uh, this this one came out of high flying kennels in, in North Dakota, Greg and Carla um, Fryer. They're um, great folks. In fact, I just picked the puppy up from summer camp last week and uh, he's doing really well. And uh, he's he's been a great dog so far. So I, I know you jokingly, you know, it's the, it's the old time joke, a dog with a tail or without a tail. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was it that, first off, what was your attraction with the Britneys? Was it just uh, uh opportunity that they were in the area and you just fell into them? The, the very first dog was just, uh, actually, there was a little bit more to it than that. I had a buddy in college who, um, his family had a Brittany, his dad had a Brittany and, and I got the opportunity to hunt over that dog for one weekend. Um, when we went back to his house to visit and, and, and watching that dog point after having hunted over the Springer, um, which I thought was cool too. Uh, but watching that dog point, I was just like sold and like <laughs> a lot of, like a lot of guys. I just kind of, when I went looking for a pointing dog, I was like, well, there I hunted over Brittany and it was great. So I must need a Brittany. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Usually like whenever somebody sees that first dog on point, it's like, right. you can't, you can't get that image out of their head. So right. from then on, it never fails. Like their first instinct when thinking of a pointing dog is going to be that first breed, whatever right. it is. Right. Yeah. You, you, the, the, literally the week that I got that Brittany, I was in grad school and my buddy who is still a guy that I hunt with from time to time. He lives in Louisiana. He had to get a pointing dog and he went out and there was no puppies left in that litter. So he came back with a, uh, uh, a GSP and, you know, here we are 40 years later and he's had nothing but GSPs for that, that same amount of time. In fact, he's bred a couple of his dogs and kept puppies. And so, uh, you know, yeah, every, Every mother loves their child and, and it's kind of that same thing you, <laughs> you, you get in there. But again, once I went and I didn't know whether I was going to be a one-time deal with, you know, when I got that one setter, but, um, you know, it was, it was, a it was at a time when I did not have a lot of time for training in terms of bird work. So I brought that dog from, you know, from a puppy of seven weeks to a 10 or 11 month old started dog. And I knew that the next season coming up was, you know, was going to be one I, I wanted to have him in good shape. So I sought out and found a, a trainer the first time I had ever taken one of my dogs to a trainer. And I told him where I was. And it was kind of interesting. He, he interviewed me for probably a half hour and then said, OK, let's see, you know, what, what would, where would you say this dog is? And I said, I said, I don't know. He's green. He's, he's 10 months old. You know, and so he said, well, let's see what he does and we put him on a check cord and ran him around a field and he comes back and he goes, you know, I train a lot of people's dogs and when and when they tell me that they're already almost ready to go compared to what you're telling me is a green dog, he said, your green dog is way more ready to go <laughs> than the average dog. He says, you've you've done well with this dog. He's and and we we took him out and put him in a field after that with birds uh just to see what he would do. Yeah. So he, so he had some chuckers that he planted and 15 minutes later, he came over to me and he goes, this is the best dog you're ever going to own. And I said, (laughs) and I said, I said, how can you say that? You don't, you know, I've got the, I've had great dogs. He goes, I don't care what your other dogs were. He said, this is the best dog you're ever going to own. And I said, okay, cool. And, And he just, I mean, he pointed 
you know, just solid as a rock from the time he was 10 months old and in front of his first pheasant um, to the point where he went on point. I was like, wow, that's great. I mean, and, and, and the, the guy goes, the, the trainer said, yeah, where's your camera? I said, well, it's back at the truck. He goes, go get it. <laughs> so like, so I, I went, I walked all the way back to the truck, got the camera, came back and took pictures of this dog and his, this 10 month old puppy just like a rock. Yeah. And, and yet that's the way he was from then on. So, so it first off, it, it, it figures the second that you get a dog with a tail, then you have to go to a pro trainer, right? Up until then you're comfortable trying it yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting that first off some keynotes there, like you said, the trainer spent half an hour interviewing you, you know, that's, right. that, that mm-hmm. is a good sign of a quality trainer. You know, it doesn't mean that it's a quality trainer, but it's right. a good sign. Mm-hmm. One of those things you want a trainer that, that really is in, interested in your take and what, and what you're wanting out of a dog right. as mm-hmm. much as what you actually want out of that dog. Again, let's go back to changing to a setter though, a Brittany to a right. setter, you know, you got the all-star We We kind of spoiler alert. We know how that that's turning out for you so far, but what right. may, what was the deciding factor? This did, Were you just looking for a change, something different, a little I, more style? You know, I, I, it, it was, it was, I was looking for a change, but I had specifically just, I don't know, probably like a lot of guys. I mean, I grew up reading, you know, field and stream and whatever. And that, you know, that setter on point or the pair of setters, you know, pointing um, or the the setter with two grouse flushing in front of it. You know, I mean, that's what the kind of classic, especially I'm from the Northeast. So that's kind of really the classic dog for grouse. And, um, and, and there was one other deal where my, the guy that I hunt with most, um, he, when I first met him and we first started hunting together he actually had a pointing lab, which, uh, it's another whole rabbit hole, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, that dog was actually not a bad pointing dog, I have to say, but he lost that dog unexpectedly and wound up looking to, for a started dog, similar to where on the position I'm in now. And, um, and he came home with a completely white, you know, setter from a trainer and, in Kansas. And, um, I helped him kind of get that dog, you know, acclimated a little bit because, well, quick side story. We, we not knowing any better. Cause I mean, I thought I knew what setters were like, and he thought that he knew what was going on, but we went bluegrass hunting for the first, like he got the dog in July and, you know, a month later we go bluegrass hunting. Well, we, we hunt bluegrass at, you know, like 9,000 feet in the woods but he puts this dog down and this was, this was before GPS collars. This was bells on the dogs. You know, he puts his dog down and three hours later, it comes back to the truck. (laughs) I mean, and then, and we, we never saw it for three hours. And there's no telling where it was at. We, well, somewhere on the mountain we were on probably, (laughs) but, um, so, so we, we changed plans to the next weekend. We took it out to some sharp tail ground and, and, uh, even the season wasn't open, but it was, you know, two weeks away and put that, I mean, the minute we put that dog on the ground and turned it loose, I turned to him and I just said, you know, man, that's what they mean by a tail cracking and a dog covering ground. I said, that's just, that's just a beautiful thing, you know, and that, that dog was just eating up that cover. And I kind of thought about it and went, you know, this is where I live now. 
you know, this is, this is, this is, this, <laughs> this, this, might is work. Kind of, this, this might work. I don't, I don't huddle, you know, I mean, my, my grass and woodcock trips are a week here and a week there and I'm hunting 60, 70 days a year and probably 50 or 60 of them are wide open country where I could see my dog three, 400 yards away. So, yeah. um, you know, so it just made sense to me after that. Oh, and ultimately that's kind of where I was going is your, your location changed the game that you're playing or, or most commonly going to be pursuing change. So, you know, that, that necessitated a change in your dogs and your lineup, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you could have sure. kept, you could have kept the French Britneys and I'm sure you still oh, would have shot sure. a bunch of birds sure. over, yep. uh, over them, especially if you bring them up in that environment. But mm-hmm. it, you know, you, you kind of backed up, you saw, uh, a line or a type of dog that kind of did it a little bit better or, or something that was more desirable to you. And you weren't afraid to make the switch just because you had had Britney's up to that point. Right. And, and there's another little, you know, maybe a, a softer piece to that, which is, um, and as I was telling you a little while ago, you know, I, 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 I've got a lot of shotguns and I probably, if I'm honest with myself, I shoot my over and unders better than my side by sides. But when I go out hunting, I'm carrying a side by side cause it's pretty and it feels right. And, you know, and I, and I mean, I still kill birds with it, but, um, you get to a point in, you know, and maybe not everybody gets there, but I've gotten to a point where putting birds in the bag is maybe the fourth or fifth thing down my list in terms of priorities when I go out and, and watching the dog hunt and, and that, that aspect of it that makes my heart stop when I see, uh, I, it, it, in fact, when that timber was the name of the setter I lost, the first time a buddy of mine from back east came out to hunt with me, when that dog was in his first year, um, we were out chucker hunting and there were kind of islands of sage. And he came screaming by from left to right at Mach 5 and, and there was an island of sagebrush in front of in front of us, maybe 50 yards. And as he came, even with that, I mean, I can't prove this, but I, I could get my buddy to second it. As he came across the front of that sagebrush, he literally locked up, went down to his front elbows and slid sideways in a power slide to stop. And he had those birds at like 20 yards. And we just, we both stood there and just went, holy shit. you know i mean it didn't matter whether we killed anything or not you know i mean that was worth the price of admission so and i've had britney's point a lot of birds but i've never seen one do that (laughs) That, uh, that'll definitely stand out in your head uh so you know you kind of alluded to changing regions changing locations and changing your your main targets right you know you went from rough grouse and woodcock primarily in the northeast and now you're dealing with more pheasant and prairie birds Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'll, so- I'll just correct you for a second. I, I don't hunt pheasants unless I have to. <laughs> okay. So, so is pheasant your least favorite to chase then? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so that answers the least favorite. I want to know the favorite because that's kind of where we're headed overall with this is you've had the privilege of going all over the country internationally, mm-hmm. all over the world, chasing and hunting birds. So you have a, a unique perspective and experience in being able to talk about, uh, 
dream hunts, so to speak. I mm-hmm. mean, for lack of a better yeah. term, just dream hunts mm-hmm. and bucket hunts that, you know, the type of stuff that the average person is like, man, one day I wish I could do that. You've kind of right. d- done a little bit of it all. Uh, and before we kind of go down that path, I need to know what's your favorite one. Like if you had to pick one just off the top of your head right now to chase, what would it be? Uh, if, if we were talking about like, see, my buddies and I ask this question of each other. Usually there's a lot of scotch involved where we do, but, uh, <laughs> or a long drive, uh, or both, but not at the same time. Um, but, uh, if the, if the question is like, like this year, what, you know, what's my favorite bird? What do I want to hunt the most? The answer is going to be chucker. Um, but when my, when my, my friend Joel asks me, well, you know, if you could only hunt one bird for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I, and he did ask me that question. And my answer was Huns. And he kind of went, what, you know, chuckers. And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to be able to hunt chuckers for the rest of my life. I mean, I I could probably hunt Huns for the rest of my life because they tend to be on much flatter ground and, you know, and they're not, I wouldn't say better behaved necessarily, but, um, you know, there's, there's going to come a time when the chuckers are a little bit tougher than I am. And, and, uh, so and you're, I, you're I, just I, trying to enjoy it while you can then. I, absolutely. I, chuckers are a great bird. They're actually, they take you to amazing country. They behave pretty well for a dog, better than Huns as a general rule, I would say. Um, you got to respect them. They're, they're like smaller pheasants in the sense that they're tougher than males. And, and if you leave them a leg, they're going to run, you know, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're tough birds and they're gorgeous. I mean, they're just beautiful birds. So, and they eat really well. So you have, again, unique perspective here. This is kind of a time age, uh, just debate to where, which is king, rough grouse or chucker? You know, I would never take uh, the title of king away from the rough grass just because I grew up with it. And, and you know, I... It really is king in your uh, head. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing, um, there's nothing that's tougher on a dog. There's nothing that's, that's harder to kill. I mean, in terms of actually hitting one, <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing about, Chuckers is, you know, or any covey bird is you, you tend to get a lot more chances. And generally speaking, there's not hardly anything in your way when they, when they get up. I mean, they may be scooting over the edge of a cliff, but there's not a whole bunch of trees in front of them. And, and you get to see them for more than a fraction of a second. You know, I mean, to this day, the guys that I hunt with out here, still chastise me for how fast I pulled the trigger. And I always, <laughs> and I always go, I, I, you know, I grew up hunting birds where if you didn't pull the trigger in the count of one, yeah. you didn't get to, you know? Yeah. So that's just the way it is. And I can't get it out of my system. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's one of those things. I haven't had the the privilege to hunt wild chucker yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I will one day, but it's, it's just one of those, you, you hear the argument or the debate all the time, you know, well, rough grouse is only hard to hunt because it's in the middle of the woods. And it's like, well, yeah, chucker's only hard to hunt because it's on top <laughs> of a mountain. Like, you know, what's your point here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So exactly. I, and then, you know, that's, that's, those arguments are, I mean, they're, they're, for they're fun. great. They're, they're for fun. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all I, well, the first time I went to New Brunswick, uh, to hunt primarily woodcock, the, the, a lot of people would find this really hard to believe, but the guy whose name coincidentally was actually Danny bird. Um, he 
as far as he was con- convinced, Woodcock were the prince and grouse were something that you shot off a four, a four wheeler, you know, like when you were cruising down a two track, he, he, we, we, in a week. And I actually hunted with him several times over the years. We never went out hunting grouse. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't take you hunting grouse. You could shoot grouse if you saw him as bycatch, you know, but he was, he was not hunting grouse and he was always very clear about that. Mm. So it's, you know, this is just different perspective. (laughs) So kind of, again, earlier I mentioned, I I went through your blog and I mean, for those that are interested that just like to, to read some different stories, it's not just upland stories. You have different stories from fishing. You you have stuff from just culture, just wine and food and stuff. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting blog piece. Anybody that's interested, check out the show notes. I'll have a link to it. Uh, but going through that, you know, again, we just talked about you've you've gone all over the world chasing birds and fish mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Uh, it all started with a trip to Texas, though. You know, it it, it so <laughs> let's talk about that trip to Texas and what about that trip kind of got your brain hooked on doing destination and long trip hunting? Well, at the time that I did, I was living in New York, but I was. I was working, I was an oil field geologist and I was working in Texas. Uh, and, um, I was working for a very small company and we had a couple of leases that we were working down there. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice that there were particularly Bob whites. There was also blue quail, but there were, but there were Bob whites, you know, all over the place. And, um, you know, the bird hunter in me all had, I, although I, I had, I had seen some, Bob white quail when I was growing up on Long Island and, and probably shot a couple, but, but, you know, by luck more than anything else. Um, but I saw all these birds and I kind of went, geez, could I hunt these? So I talked to the ranch foreman and he said, Oh yeah, you know, sure. We don't let anybody hunt our deer cause we make big money on that. He said, but if you want to hunt quail, you know, bring a gun. And, and so I actually, um, wound up flying my, my, Brittany with me the next time I went, cause I used to go down for about six weeks at a clip, um, as long as it would take us to drill a well. And, and, uh, and so I, I brought a gun and a, and a dog with me and, you know, I had to be out at this oil rig, well, you know, kind of 24 seven while we were drilling. And so I had a little trailer to sleep in and I could always sneak away for a couple of three hours without, you know, I mean, you didn't need to be there the whole time, but right. it was just so far from town that you could, you didn't have time to go all the way back into town and come back out. So anyway, I shot a couple of quail and I, I was doing okay and learning. And I, I just was talking to a buddy back home and I said, man, I, I'd love to go down there and just do that for a week, you know? And he kind of went, hell, I'll go, you know, and, <laughs> Let's and, <do> it. <laughs> and so we, I checked with the ranch and made plans and we went, it was at, we actually left on Christmas day, uh, 1986 and drove 35 hours with one dog. If you, I mean, with what I know now, <laughs> we drove, we drove with one dog, my first Brittany, uh, and not a whole lot for, of dog power for a trip, not like a whole that. lot of dog power. No. And, 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 uh, you know, he didn't run that big and fortunately you didn't have to because there were a a lot of birds and um yeah the limit was 12 i think if i remember right and and i think we limited every day we didn't 
we didn't do it like by morning because we were terrible shots in those days, but, <laughs> but, um, we, you know, we, we, we killed a lot of quail and, and again, one of those sort of seminal moments, we got all the way down there, dropped our stuff in the, in the, the house that, that my company rented, drove out to the field, parked the truck. And, you know, I kind of had some idea of the lay of the land because I had been out there and, and so put the dog on the ground. And I mean, we went 50 yards and, and the dog locks up on a spot that didn't look like it could hold one quail. And we walked in and, you know, 15, 20 birds got up and, you know, I thought in the, in the sense of, of great sayings, my, my buddy didn't know whether to wind his watch, you know, he just like, he had never seen a cubby bird before. And, uh, I, I think he whiffed twice and I think I probably whiffed as well. And, and he turned and he looked at me and he said, you know, if we had to get back in the truck and drive home now, it was worth it. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, and there's lots more where that came from, you know, so we did that. Um, that's actually what caused me to get a second dog because when I brought my dog home and took him to the vet, cause his eye, one of his eyes was closed and he had the blisters on his feet and, and I brought him into my country vet. I lived in a little tiny town and the vet looks at me and he's like, so I just want to be clear. Were you trying to kill him? And, and I said, and I, I said, I said, no, why? He goes, you like, you can't run one dog every day for five days in 70 degree heat in a yeah. country in country that's full of rocks and rattlesnakes and cactus. And he, he said, you, he said, you're crazy. You know? And I said, I, I, I went home and my wife said, how is he? What did the vet say? I said, the vet said, I need another dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how that turned into, yeah. 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 Uh, so, it, so you, you so should have just looked at the doctor and be like, it's not that I can't run the dog as long as it's <laughs> that I shouldn't, but the dog yeah. can do it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. So he literally, this is a, a story from, from that trip. We, on the last day that we were hunting and it was warm. I was, I was driving a, a very early, the, probably the first year Suzu uh, troopers were ever released in this country. And it had, it was a two door with sliding side windows in the back. And so we were, it was maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. We, we were like each one bird short of a limit. And, uh, and I said to my buddy, you know, the dog is beat. We're, we've killed a lot of birds. I mean, let's, let's just call it go back and, you know, get some beer and clean these birds and call it, call it a trip. And he said, yeah. that's, that's fine with me. And so we put the dog in the back, we started driving out this two track. And of course a covey of Bob White's runs across the two track in front of us. And my buddy looks at me and he goes, you know, we don't need the dog. We, we, could just, <laughs> we, we could just, we, we, we could just walk them up. And I said, I said, yeah, let's do it. You know? So we, we got out and got the dog, uh, we got the guns and, walked, you know, whatever it was, 20, 30 yards off the side of the, the two track birds got up. We each shot, we each killed the bird. And I thought, you know, perfect. And, and just as I said that I heard this thump behind us and I turned around and, and my dog was like trying to get, he had jumped out the window of the truck and, and hit the ground. And, and he was like staggering to his feet. And I was like, what is he doing? And he just like, 
he just walked past us and picked up these two birds and brought them back and then laid down and just done. Yeah. And he did not, honest to God, I don't think he got up for the whole 35 hours it took to get home. He just laid in the back of the truck and I was like, God, I hope he lives. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. I mean, that's one of those things to where you, you hear people say all the time, my dog can hunt all day. They have the will to hunt all day, yeah, you know, absolutely. physically, you know, that that's the issue. Nobody's saying mentally these dogs can't do it, but physically, uh, it's kind of something that all dog owners kind of learn, uh, yeah. the barriers to, you know, I, I remember right. my first trip up to Wisconsin years ago and I only had Rachel and we had one dog and just by the end of the week, she was as fried and, uh, mm-hmm. you, you kind of learn, uh, that their limits and, and how to safely pace them throughout a week after that first trip. Right. But I, I feel like everybody kind of has to run their dog, uh, down in the dirt a little bit to kind of understand that, yeah. you know, you can preach it till you're blue in the face. They, they're not really yeah. going to understand it. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's just a little bit of a side topic, but you know, there's, there's two things that, that have grown out of that for me. One is I, I've never, I mean, this is the first time I've been down pointing at my dog here on the floor in front of me. I've, this is the first time I've been down to one dog in since that first time, you know, I've, I've, I've just known that I needed two dogs pretty much all the time. And I've just been on a program where I always have two or three and, you know, if I lose one, it's time to get another one, you know? Um, and, and, uh, you know, we all hate losing one, but we all also know it's going to happen and we know it's going to happen in 12 or 15 years. Right. So, um, so that's part of it is you always plan on that. And, and the other thing is the, the group of guys that I've, you know, if I look back to college when one guy had a dog and that was it. And then for a while I was the only guy who had a dog except for my, my partner in grad school. But over the, over the years, I just sort of either browbeat my buddies into getting dogs or, (laughs) or, or found friends that had dogs because, you know, the other thing that happens is if you've each got one dog, well, then you can trade off and you can rotate dogs, you know, and if, you know, in my case, if I have two, I usually run, run a dog for two hours, put them up, run a dog for two hours. And, um, but you can't like, when I have guys who say, boy, I'd really like love to come on that trip with you guys. I'm like, get a dog and come next to <laughs> we're, we're, we're not, we're like, we, we're not, we're not, we're not, we don't have extra dogs, yeah, you, know, we no, don't, you know, so it's a, it's a fair point. Would you say that the, to the average person, the, the friend with a boat is more valuable than a friend with a dog <laughs> or the other way around? Uh, yeah, good question. I, I don't know <laughs> where I, well, it depends if it's a drift boat, I'd say maybe the guy with the boat, but okay. Fair but, enough. But, fair but, point. But, but that's only because I have the dogs. Yeah. Well, and also <laughs> yeah. it depends on the dog. Are we talking a pointing dog or a flushing dog? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So let's circle back to, again, the trip, uh, you know, this trip down to Texas really kind of started your, your passion and, and enjoyment of traveling long distances and people listening to this and might be like, well, yeah, I mean, I want to go shoot birds across the country too, but you have to kind of put it in context to where, where you were living at the time, you didn't necessarily need to go anywhere for bird context. You know, that this was just something that you, you fell into and you decided to go do, and you kind of uncovered a little bit of uh, adventure out of it almost like a little bit of wonderlust. It seems like to where just this one trip to Texas, all that's all of a sudden sparked you to where every year you're like, where's somewhere new that I can go. 
Exactly. And, and, and part of it was, you know, I, I decided that I just really wanted to spend a, at least one solid week uh, each fall in, in bird camp, you know, and, and, and a couple of times bird camp was, you know, just a few hours from the house, but we, we, we always, we made it this rule, my buddies and I, that we were going to go somewhere and it was going to be somewhere where we had to stay at a camp and we had to cook food and, and, you know, play cards at night and whatever. Um, and, and it just seemed logical to me that if we were going to dedicate that time, that we should try and, like you say, make it into an adventure. And so I, I was a guy that still am, that I consume a lot of media um, and read a lot of books. And, and I, you know, I kind of fell into the reading Tom Hugler's books about hunting quail across America, hunting, following woodcock from North to South, uh, you know, the, he did the grouse of North America. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, some, one of these days I'm going to do that, you know, and, and literally started planning a trip that would be a, what I ultimately called the Odyssey, which I did in 2017, which was a put a pull a trailer a la Tom Hungler and, and, and travel and just follow the birds for what turned out to be three months. And, um, but in between, you know, I, I think the Texas trip got me started on wanting to go somewhere. And then the next, you know, there were a lot of twists and turns along the way. The next thing that happened was a guy that I met at work um, who who turned out to be uh, literally like a classically wealthy landed gentry kind of a, a grouse hunter who had his own string of setters, his own line of setters. Uh, he was listening to me talk about this trip to Texas. And he said, I don't understand why you would drive all the way to Texas when you could drive 12 hours the other direction and be in New Brunswick hunting woodcock. And I was like, well, what's that about? You know? yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he told me about it and he gave me the name of the guide. And I looked at it and said, Hey, let's try that. I mean, it's half the distance and, and, you know, and, and we, and the other thing was in those days, you know, when numbers still counted, um, New Brunswick, you could shoot eight woodcock a day. And in the U S you could shoot three. And, and I thought, well, you know, I don't necessarily need to shoot eight, but going very far to shoot three is seems like a little bit of a stretch. And yeah. so, so that year we went to New Brunswick and, you know, met, met up with a guide, uh, the primary, well, we needed a guide in those days for that kind of a trip, but in the maritime provinces in, in Canada, you can't hunt. If you're a non-resident, you can't hunt without a guide, or at least you couldn't 30 years ago. I don't know right. about today, but, um, so you had to get a guide, but the guide could hunt, could, could guide up to three guys. That was, that was the, the rule. So, so we hunted with this guy and, and, um, and it was, it's fun. We learned a ton about Woodcock and he had his own setter and we all, we each, each of us brought a dog and, and, um, you know, he, I think he had never, I know he had never actually guided a bunch of young, crazy guys like we were because we wanted to let, you know, we said, well, what time do we start tomorrow? You know, when we met him the first night, he goes, oh, well, I'll 
I'll come get you guys around nine. We were like nine bullshit. We're, pay- <laughs> we're, we're, we're paying you for a day of hunting. We want to hunt. We want to hunt. What times it get light? You know? And, and, and he was like, no, no, you don't understand. You know? And we were like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's sitting there thinking, if you go at eight, you're going to be back at the cabin by nine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but this, this guy, he turned out, he was a great, is a great guy. I think he's still alive. Um, and um, just knew, so much about the woods and about woodcock and, and, and his main gig actually was, he was a salmon guide. And, um, but this is what he did sort of in the, in the off season of salmon. And, and he was a guy, as it turned out that had guided, you know, you know, presidents and guys like Jack Nicholas and, and, uh, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf and, and so he was these, the guy to call when he, somebody he was the guy. There. Yeah. And, and actually we got to drink and scotch with him one night and he pulled off his, his, his bunch of books off the shelf that were all signed. I mean, signed and dedicated to him from Gene Hill. Cause he had guided Gene Hill a bunch oh, of wow. times. And Gene Hill was one of my heroes in terms of writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he talked about what a great guy he was and how they didn't start till 10 o'clock when he hunted with you know, Gene Hill because he was he was pretty laid back at that time. So, so it, it sounds like you you got pointed in the direction of New Brunswick, which kind of right? just fed the fire for, for your trips and your wanderlust here a little right. bit. Uh, you keep bringing up some books and authors. I wonder how much has literature really like played a role in destinations for you and dream hunts and figuring out where you want to go next year? Uh, it's probably for the first 25 years, a lot. Um, reading books, magazine articles, maybe more so because they would tend to be more timely, but, um, you know, guys like Hugler, Charlie Waterman, Charles Fergus, uh, those guys all kind of fed the, you know, fed the fire, I guess. Um, and they maybe got me a little bit more interested in, in the different birds because, you know, I had hunted at that point, I had hunted grouse, woodcock, pheasants, and quail. You, you know, you and, say and I, pheasants with such disdain now. <laughs> well, I, 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 and I'm not, and I didn't say ditch parrots, which is what I usually would say. But, but uh, I, I, I'm with you. You know, the, the pheasants—they're not my favorite mm-hmm. either. I mean, it's not even close. But I'm just curious, like, what what about pheasant has caused such just your your tone of voice immediately changing? Ah, pheasant. <laughs> there's 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 two there's two things about them that. And maybe maybe three things about him. One is that I mean, just to be fair, if I owned flushing dogs and that's what I hunted, I'd yes. probably hunt pheasants, right? But they 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 don't treat a pointing dog well unless if you just hunt pheasants or yeah. mostly hunt pheasants, a good pointer can get to be really good at them. And yeah. and, and I have I had one Brittany that was was money on him. He and he was not good on almost any other bird that I hunted, <laughs> Go figure. but, but he was really good on pheasants. And, and, um, so there's, there's that aspect, which is probably the main one is that, you know, that they're, they're just not good for a dog that's hunting right. covey birds all the time. Um, but, uh, you add to that, the fact that 
more often than not, the hand when I was in the business world and I would occasionally get invited on some kind of really cool trip, somebody say, Hey, you know, come bird hunting with us and we're going to hunt pheasants. And it would turn into this like 12 guys in yeah. a line trying not to be shot by four guys at the other end <laughs> of the field. Yeah. And I just, I, I never liked it. I was never comfortable with it. Um, just didn't, you know, this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's really the main, the main reason. Yeah. So, and then on, on top of that, like in a place like where I live now, there are wild pheasants around, but um, generally speaking, most of the guys that hunt pheasants around here are hunted planted birds. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Wyoming game and fish, you know, much to the dismay of pheasants forever is one of the States that continues to put all the money into raising birds to put out to kill rather than doing something about the habitat. So, um, yeah, you know, so that's, that's, that's another, another piece of it. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, there's too many states and decisions going that way and, and we don't have to beat up on the, uh, old ditch parrot for too long, but you're, <laughs> you're, you're right. It's just like, it, that that's a flushing dog game. I mean, not yeah, that you can't is. do it, it with is. pointing dogs. You just said that you yeah. had one. I've done it. I've seen other people do it. Somebody's listening like, my dog does great on fit. We're not saying that it doesn't, but typically right. you take your average dog, a flushing dog is going to be much better aligned with pheasant in their typical habitat than a pointing dog. Uh, but so getting back to figuring out where you're going to go on your adventures mm-hmm. and your trips, uh, your literature obviously had a, a resounding impact on you, mm-hmm. uh, when it came to that, is that walk me through your step on it's now March or April and mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out where you're going in the fall. What was the deciding factors for you? Where do you just drop that pin on a map and you decide that's where I'm going? There's a couple of different ways that it, that it happened. I mean, and I'll, and I'll give you two examples to, to, illustrate the, the, the kind of the two ends of the continuum. There was a, a, after having done the New Brunswick thing, you know, maybe within, maybe just the following year after the first or second time we, we went to New Brunswick, I happened to read an article uh, and <laughs> this is going to sound very strange because I'm going to talk about a trip where I went to hunt pheasants. Uh, <laughs> All right. So we built but, this but, up correctly. But, 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 but <laughs> But I read an article that laid out the fact that Nova Scotia had, and again, I'm talking in 30 years ago, so I don't know what the numbers are anymore, but but at that time, Nova Scotia boasted the highest population density of wild pheasants east of the Mississippi River. So uh, I was like, what the hell's up with that? You know? And, 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 uh, so I read a little bit more and I found there was a guide and I called the guide and he, you know, did what guides do, you know, sold us on what a great hunt this would be. Um, there was the possibility of also hunting grouse, which, which added to it. Um, and, and, probably rates is one of the worst trips I've ever gone on, which might, which might also have something to do with my feeling about pheasants. But, um, there was three of us. We went, uh, the guide turned out to be a, a a fellow who was again, mostly a fishing, a salmon guide. And he had found this as his way to fill in the fall with something else to do. And he didn't even own a dog, but he could borrow a golden retriever. 
And we went up there with four pointing dogs. And um, the lay of the land in Nova Scotia is such that uh, it's the Annapolis Valley is all farmland. Uh, you know, it's basically water on one side. It's the Bay of Fundy on one side and, and, um, and, and then up the high ground in the middle of the island in between. And all of the covers were just these crazy long linear like ditches or berms or, uh, you know, there just there were not there was nothing that lent itself to hunting with a pointing dog. I mean, it was and and on top of that the guide had never even seen a pointing dog before. So he didn't know. It's a great sign. He had no way, he had no way to say, Oh, I know what you guys need. Right. And we tried yeah. to tell him, but it didn't work very well. And, and, uh, the culmination of that trip was the day, but the second to the last day that we were there. And, and, and I'll just go back and say, we, we wounded birds that we weren't happy about. We, we, we lost birds, you know, that frustrated the hell out of us. Um, it rained a lot while we were there. That wasn't, you know, particularly great. Uh, but one of the guys on that trip, one of the three, me, uh, one of the three of us was a guy who tended to be, a, he was an ex college baseball player. So he was very competitive and, and he, and he was all about, he wanted to perform, you know? Yeah. And, and when he wasn't shooting well, he got kind of down on himself and, one that second to the last day, he went off with the guide and me and my buddy went in a different direction. And, and when we came back to the truck, you could see from the body language that something was seriously wrong with, between my buddy and the guide, my buddy was like looking at his feet and just like hang dog. And the guide was like, <laughs> you could just see he was pissed. And as we walked up, he said, you know, yeah, get your stuff. I'm done with you guys. I'm, I'm not guiding you anymore. You need to leave the country. And we, <laughs> right. were, like, and we were like, what? <laughs> and he's like, you know, he missed this bird. He winged, wing tipped this bird and it got away and he's blaming me and, and he's not happy and you guys aren't happy and I'm not going to get a good recommendation out of this. So why don't you guys just get the hell out of here? All right. And we were like, we were like, no. <laughs> we paid you because <laughs> we paid you and we got another day and 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 we don't actually need you anymore because we know all your spots <laughs> and it's not a it's not a big area you know and i basically i worked a deal with him where he could sit in his car and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee while we hunted so so he came out with us didn't guide us we shot more birds that day than we shot any of the other days and we were all it was all good in the end but so that's the one and only quote unquote guided pheasant hunt I ever went on. So. Mm. Well, and that, but that, that's important to note because when you go on these trips and adventures and stuff, you're going to have stories like that. You're going to have Absolutely. trips that don't live up to expectations. Absolutely. I haven't been in this world that, that long, but I've, I've had one or two that I'm like, eh, you yeah. know, it just yeah. did, didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for. Uh, but that's a chance that you take. Because, Absolutely. you know, again, it's all about learning and chasing new birds and new areas and planning is half the fun. And, right. you know, it's just getting out there and doing it. So, uh, but th so that didn't really hamper your resolve to continue going to wild places and new, new places. No, no. And, but it, but it probably influenced, and this is actually one of the points that I would make to, you know, 
I don't know whether whether you're you know your age and and haven't really done much of it yet, or whether or not you're older and want to start doing it now, or or have had it done you know done a little bit of it. The, the big thing uh, that I would encourage people to do is to is to start with the question why, because because what you you know why are you going and there's and there's no right or wrong reason but you sort of need to understand what you're after. And, and you, you alluded to hunting all over the, and fishing all over the world. And, and what I learned from taking people to Argentina to fish for trout was that the people who, the guys that came with me to go down there who came for the experience and the culture and the whole package loved it. And the guys who went down there thought they were, they thought they were going to catch either bigger or more trout than they could catch in Colorado or, or wherever they would often be disappointed if they didn't catch that, you know, one or two big fish. And, it's, and the same holds true with a hunting trip. I mean, it's not about big birds or small birds, right? They're one of the things I love about bird hunting is there's no trophies really. I mean, it's in the sense of the biggest one or whatever, but What's your longest rooster um, tail on pheasant? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but 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 if you can ask yourself the question why and decide I'm going for the total experience or I'm going be, I'm going to see new country first and bird hunt is is the re, is the reason it's getting me to go there, you know. Um or I'm going because it's five guys I really like, and we always have a good time when we get together, and we spend we have more fun tailgating than we do, you know, cleaning birds. Uh, you know, you, you you just have to be honest with yourself with the answer to that question. And and uh, like I did a trip to Tarmigan hunt, and I think I told you this when we were talking the other day, and you know, the, the outfitter called me a month before we were going. And he said, man, I can't tell you, you should come because the bird numbers are in the toilet this year. It's like, we, we rarely see numbers this low. And I said, well, you know, let me, let me check with my buddies, but I don't think that's why we're coming, you know? And so, yeah. and I, and I checked and everybody was like, no, I want, I want to go see Alaska. You know, I mean, the bird hunting is like a vehicle to get us there but we're going to see Alaska. And so we went and we didn't shoot a lot of ptarmigan, but we shot ptarmigan and, and, uh, and it was a great trip. So, but somebody who thought they were going to go to Alaska because you're allowed to shoot 20 ptarmigan a day. And that was their goal. That would have been a complete disaster for, you know? So. No. And I mean, ultimately that's what, what we preach on this podcast for, for the years that we've been doing this is, uh, the why, the, the why is more important than, than anything on this, whether you're training a dog or going across country and driving 28 hours to go hunt some mm -hmm. birds. Uh, right. you know, it's it, like you said, if you're going there and it's, you know, the trip is made or failed based upon how many birds you shoot, you know, you might go out there and sh shoot your limit and you have the great success and, and great right. trip that you had. Uh, but I know that there's been a few trips to where, if that was how I measured it, it wasn't a great trip. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, I've yeah. been on some trips to where I shoot a bunch of birds. I've been on, I've gotten skunked before on a big trip. It happens. It's part of hunting. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you know, it's not to get too romantic about it or, or whatever you want to call it, but 
it is about the experience. It is about mm-hmm. just seeing new country with your dogs, uh, you know, a couple close buddies and stuff like that. And that's what keeps me wanting to go. And I don't really look mm-hmm. at it, oh, man, I didn't shoot a lot of birds. Uh, I'm never coming back here again. I kind of look at it as one day I'm going to get redemption. I'm going to go back there <laughs> and, and I'm going to knock the birds down and we're going to yeah. just clean that first trip off the books. Right, right. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed part one with Keith Marcotte. Uh, part two is even better, in my opinion. It was uh, we really kind of get into a lot of fun next week, from Upland Slam talk to traveling tips. There, there's a whole bunch of good stuff coming out next week. So be sure that you check out part two with this uh, part one. I, I'm not going to keep this too long, just because it is a part one, and I'll save kind of my reaction for the uh, after the whole conversation is out there. But uh, I just love talking to guys like Keith who have been doing it for decades. They've been they've been hunting all over the country. Uh, you'd be crazy to think that you don't have anything to learn from from guys like Keith and uh, apply to yourself uh, to just to make your your hunting experience and travels and and plans just just a little bit more efficient and and a little bit more fun. Uh, what whatever it's. Uh, Again, I, I'm just going to keep this one short. This is just part one, so be sure to check out next week. Uh, I, I'm excited for you guys to hear it, but it does kind of start off uh, getting into the Upland Slam, which if you don't know, tune in next week and find out what the Upland Slam actually is and what what uh, kind of inspired Keith to even start going after it. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff next week. Check it out. Uh, If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. That makes sure that ensures that you get to see next week's episode when it when it uh, publishes next Tuesday. Uh, so hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you don't mind, hit that share button. Share the podcast with a friend. If you're enjoying the conversation so far, or there's other uh, episodes that you've enjoyed. Uh, other than becoming a Patreon patron, there is no better way to support the podcast other than just sharing it. I don't care if it's sharing an actual episode, sharing the social media post what have you, it doesn't matter. Uh, As long as if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us out, by all means, try and share it with somebody. We appreciate it. We thank you for joining in as always. Uh, Again, the Patreon patron option, if you really like the show and you want to support it, go check that out at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. And while you're there, go ahead and get that discount code for the hats that we have up on our website right now. If you haven't checked it out already we have some really sharp looking hats they're extremely comfortable extremely high quality they're the type of hat that not only are you uh gonna throw in your truck to take hunting with you like you're actually going to enjoy wearing the hat i don't know about you guys i'm that guy to wear like i'm real funny about my hats uh the comfort of the hat is a big deal to me and all four of these hats that we have out right now that they they pass the test uh just go check them out uh it's it's not just your basic you know trucker hat or anything like that it is high quality so by all means check that out if, you, if you're into, interested in that um uh, again i'm not going to keep you too much longer uh, i'm just going to go ahead and do this review of the week uh this one comes from sam hansen 
Best show around, five stars on July 12th. I've been listening to GDIY for multiple months now and look forward to a new episode coming out each week. After getting my first gun dog seven months ago, this podcast has been a godsend. Such good information and always positive attitude. Sam, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for leaving that review. It means a lot to us. We re- read all the reviews, and if we do read your review on the uh, episode and you hear it, by all means, reach out to us. Hit us up on social media or the email at gundogityourself at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to get a hat and a sticker shot out your way. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to wrap this up, and we'll we'll uh, you know continue on our conversation with Keith next week. And I uh, hope everybody gets out there, has a lot of fun this week. Work your dogs. Hunting season is literally, I mean, pretty much upon us. I mean, it's it's just a few weeks away. So if you haven't already, be getting your dogs in shape. Uh, get out there. But most importantly, remember what it's about. Have fun. Don't stress too much about pending tests. Don't stress too much about the seasons coming up. You know, this is supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, then you're doing it wrong. And with that being said, thanks again for ch- joining us this week. And we'll be looking for you next week. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.